0: Are you sick and tired of your business, computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend, Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or five hundred. Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once in all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Thursday, February 10th. hope all of you are doing well. J.C. Sherbert here with you busting out another episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, Thank you for all of you guys that listen out there. We've had some good numbers lately, uh, lots to talk about. Uh, In our news and notes segment, always brought to you by Heritage Digital. Folks, get up there, and uh, if you're tired of your IT guy, like I said, uh, go for it. Um, News earlier today, South Carolina officially announces that – they're going to have a spring game at night, part of what they call the Big Gamecock Weekend. Always thought something like this made sense. South Carolina football is made to be played at night, although been some pretty good afternoon games over the years as well. Uh, the crowd seems to get into it, but uh, that that kind of fits the program. It's going to be a concert by Patrick Davis, who we all know and love, uh, and then uh, an Ole Miss. Carolina baseball series that weekend there's some beach volleyball uh really good job by the administration to kind of um you know put it out there uh and and make something special out of it I know it's on Easter weekend but you know what uh in South Carolina and Clemson's kind of the same way I mean you know you you when Kirby got to Georgia I guess Georgia started uh, attracting more fans uh, to their spring game. But in South Carolina, look, that time of year, people are going to the beach, they're going to the lake. There's the Masters weekend. That was a big problem when it was on Masters weekend. Um, I totally respect anybody that, that that makes a big weekend out of Easter. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I'm there with you. But, uh, you know, when you talk about that state, our state, you know, that, that April, uh, I guess those April weekends fill up pretty quick. Uh, and it's just the nature of it. So I, I think this is designed to get a big crowd. There's going to be all kinds of recruits there, uh, and people should just go and have fun. I mean, it, it, you never know what's going to happen in spring practice. I mean, so you, I'd like to sit here and say, first chance you'll get to see Spencer Rattler. Uh, but you never know. I mean, you're, you're not going to play him if he's got a sore ankle or any kind of issue like that. Uh, it, it, but, you know, theoretically – him and and Antoine Wells and and, and Devontae Reed and all the midseason portal guys uh, that came in. Austin Stogner is the one that won't be there. You get a good first look at those guys, so it's a little different than, than maybe in the past with the transfers coming in. Lavoisier Carroll, Christian Beal, Smith, uh, lots to be excited about. Terrell Dawkins, I mean, lots to be excited about there. Uh, and then some guys maybe that you, you you know didn't play a whole lot last year, like Omega Blake. Uh, could be good. You know, Braden Davis, the freshman quarterback, will be there uh, playing, Colt Gauthier, uh, those guys. So, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's one of those spring games that uh, will be exciting. And, and look, uh, the weather will probably be good, knock on wood. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a good day to go be outside and, and not have to worry about the Gamecocks losing and still get a, a good concert and tailgating experience. Uh, right there under the lights at Williams Bryce stadium. So uh, a good deal there. I've talked about this on the brief and on the minute earlier today, uh, Steve Spurrier coming by, uh, Wednesday to give Shane Beamer, the Steve Spurrier first coach, our first year coach award. Uh, I think that's big, always good to see him. Always good to hear him talk good about South Carolina. Uh, I, I think it goes without saying he's been missed, um, maybe a little more than we thought. And, uh, you know, he put 10 and a half years into this program when everybody said he'd be done in four. Uh, I remember the Clemson media uh, up in the upstate at the time when, when he was hired saying, ah, it's, it's, gonna, it's just like Holtz. He'll be there three years and give it to his son. Uh, turn, come to find out the head ball coach had, you know, 10 and a half years in him and then really five to build it. You know, I mean, he, he's done, he used to go in seven and six uh, and he built it. And uh, it turned, turned for the better. And South Carolina had its best period of football. I I think you look back on it, he probably wishes he uh, had made some better assistant coaching hires uh, at the time Uh, But uh, to kind of keep it going. But uh, that's water under the bridge. And uh, it was really good, uh, I think, for all Gamecocks to see Steve Spurrier at the Colonial Life Arena uh, on – on Wednesday night, 86, 76 loss, by the way, in that basketball game, you know, I thought South Carolina played well, uh, all things considered, but I'll also say that, you know, Frank Martin's right. They didn't really play good defense and, and your chances of winning that f- basketball game when you're not guarding, uh, as talented as Kentucky is slim to none, you know, because you're not hitting threes, all that. I mean, it just, this is one of those things. So, uh, I have some, a lot of questions in in the mailbag today Uh, and and we're probably going to just skip over analysis uh, and and get right to the mailbag. I have a JC and Morgan coming up to record Mike and I and have, we have a special guest today. So I've got to hit that mark, but that's kind of, uh, you know, analyzing it or whatever. You got to go to Georgia, you got Georgia and Ole Miss on the road. Those are certainly winnable games. Those teams are at the bottom of the conference, but you know, at some point, Georgia is going to beat South Carolina in basketball again, and it's been eleven in a row. You hope it's not this year because that would probably put a nail in the coffin for this team. And then Ole Miss out there has been challenging, uh, and they're going to be looking at Carolina as a winnable game as well. And so it's uh, it, it's it's kind of past the do or die opportunity because I've sat there and talked about opportunity. Uh, Opportunity in Mississippi State, opportunity against Tennessee, opportunity against Kentucky. They failed in all three. Uh, You know, given how they played against Kentucky, they probably could have played better against Mississippi State and Tennessee, uh, especially the second half against Tennessee, if we want to be quite honest. But, um, you know, it's just just one of those things where, barring some sort of crazy run where this team – uh, shows us all that they are better than they have been because I don't know that they are. Uh, so many new faces, so many guys are up and down. I mean, Wilton's Levesque against Kentucky was offensively lights. I mean, I would say lights out I mean, a lot better than he has been. <laughs> you know, uh, it looked like he knew what he was doing. Um, you know, you got a streaky shooter in Stevenson, you got a solid shooter in Reese, and the two veterans, Bryant and uh, Cousinard, they're up and down. Bryant was up against Kentucky, and, and I've said this before, you know, when he plays around the basket and and he makes it his, you know, he ha- uses his will to go after the ball, good things happen for him and the, the basketball team. Um, and he just doesn't always do that. Now, I you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, uh, is it? It's, you know, people are going to blame coaching, and, and it's because it's year 10. And this team hadn't been back to the NCAA tournament since the Final Four. Uh, I'm sure it's coaching. I I think this is just one of those, it's a team that probably just sort of is what it is. Now, that has nothing to do with what happens at the end of the season. That's my opinion on this team this year. They're 13 and 10. You know, they're they're kind of a lot like uh, every other team with the exception of the pandemic last year, uh, which I don't count. You know, now now that Carolina, you know, now that they're kind of back to where they were this year, I I, I think the, the pandemic year is a one off. There, there was just uh, there was too much going against uh, the program. It happened to a lot of teams in college basketball last year with the stops and starts. Uh, you know, so I'm not I'm not holding that against Frank Warren. I'm not holding the first two years he had. Uh, but if you think about it, with the exception of the the 25 and nine, I call it the screw job year because big screw job by the committee at the end Uh, and then the final four year uh, this team's like between six between 16 and 18 wins mark it down you know uh, the year before the screw job year 17 and 16 Uh, the year after the final four 17 and 16 the next year 16 and 16 the next year 18 and 13 and then they're tracking toward probably 15 to 18 wins again this season Um, and I've said this before I said it on the podcast earlier who's going to get you know, what you got to ask yourself when you're talking about uh, moving forward, you know, you got to say, you know, who's the guy that's going to get them those extra four or five wins a year? Uh, now, you say that it's not like football, where just about everybody will come back, you know, if the new coach is liked. Uh, and then you build on top of that and, you know, basketball, in basketball, the transfer portal, we talk about it all the time. It's going to be crazy in that sport you know you're almost looking at a a different way these days outside of recruiting and and you know i think that has to be taken into account uh when you're if you look for a new coach is who can manage the portal you know you know can you go find a guy like chris beard who's now at texas who put together a national runner-up through transfers there are guys out there that can do it it's just not as obvious as you know the guys that are connected with AAU, or whatever. And then, frankly, I, you know, this group Frank brought in uh, is pretty solid. Uh, the, the problem is, is that and Frank will admit this is that his style of play is very difficult. Uh, you know, for, for just players that are one and nuts, uh, the longer they're there, normally, the better they are. Now, Bryant and Cousinard are kind of a different deal. Uh, lots going on those, those guys, just in terms of, you know, the suspension at the beginning of the year for Bryant Cousinard's dealing with some problems. Um, but you know, you look Levesque's better, you know, than he has been, but better than he has been, uh, that kind of thing. So, but you haven't had Stevenson and Reese, and, uh, those guys, you know, Devin Carter will get better if he, you know, say the same way with Jacoby Wright, uh, so, so my question, a question, not my main question, a question would be, uh, is Frank Martin's style of, of playing winning basketball, which a lot of times to his, you know, as he's admitted, depends on guys sticking with it, you know, and not everybody. I mean, the Final Four team lost six guys off the team the year before. But your guys, you know, your P.J. Dozers and, and folks like that, uh, and you just don't know the answer. And you don't know the answer, by the way. PJ Dozier was traded just now. Uh, another news note here again, former gamecock. Uh, Celtics traded Dozier and Bull Bowl. I think that's minute Bull's son, Bull Bull. Uh, a future second round in cash to the Orlando Magic. Uh, Dozier and Bull were both out for the season, so it's a cost saving measure for the Celtics. That's according to Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN. Uh, Also, G.G. Jackson, Gamecock basketball target, five-star guy, ranked as the number one player in the country uh, by Rivals.com today. So, congrats to him. I don't know what's going to happen with his recruitment. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of questions about basketball uh, right now. Back to football, uh, as we saw, Devontae Holloman is joining the staff. I think that's great. Um, Devontae... When he got out of playing, and, and his career was cut short by an injury because he was sticking with the Dallas Cowboys, and it looked like he was going to be a player. And, and they had him at linebacker or whatever, and then yeah, he got hurt and had to hang it up and went into coaching. I think the guy has been uh, a great coach on the high school level, won a state championship at South Point, Point. Um, and now he's coming back to his alma mater. Going to be an off-the-field role. They've changed the rules a little bit to where, you know, even with Omega Blake there, Devontae can, you know, still work in in the position. That rule is kind of weird anyway. I understand the intent. Uh, But, uh, you know, there's just a lot, uh, you know, a lot of unintended consequences with that that I think uh, held some people back from achieving, and I don't like any rules that, that, that do that. So that's what happened there. Um, you know, but Devontae Holloman's gonna, gonna be a big deal. And when, when you see Eric Kimry and Connor Shaw walk out the door, uh, it's good to see Devonte Holloman walking in, uh, in my opinion. And, and I've always felt, you know, these guys, a lot of these guys that played under Spurrier, man, and South Carolina's not really has not had this as a football program uh, until the Spurrier era. Uh, and in some some cases, the Holtz era as well, because you got guys like Nashawn Goddard out there. Now, he played for Spurrier, I think, as a senior. Uh, but you got a lot of guys in coaching. Travian Robertson, I've talked about him. Uh, I think that that he's a guy that is a rising star coaching defensive line. Cliff Matthews is in coaching. Uh, Nashawn Goddard, who I mentioned. Uh, Travell Wharton, who was uh, a Holtz era guy. I mean, they're all out there. You know, and that's, that's including the guys that were there, like DeMarco and, and, and Shaq Wilson, uh, Kim Kimry. You know, there's a lot of former Gamecocks in coaching. Right? Uh, so, I, I, you know, Connor Shaw could be one if he wanted to be. And, and so I think that's a good thing. You know, you look up, up the road at Clemson and, you know, people could say what they want about Dabo and his hiring and it's going to catch up with him or whatever, but – you know, he's promoted Clemson guys, you know, Brandon Streeter, Clemson guy, you know, Thomas Austin's the old line coach, Clemson guy. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think that, you know, one thing we've learned in recent years, South Carolina is a unique place. And, uh, both states, both schools in our state are, (laughs) I mean, Clemson's obviously unique, if anything, um, you 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 have to approach it differently. Uh, the best coaches in the history of the program have been uh, interesting and unique guy people. You know, if you're talking football, uh, you know Lou Holtz certainly <laughs> unique guy. Spurrier did it his own way. Joe Morrison was really one of the first coaches that you know you just kind of is synonymous with South Carolina football. Uh, and he started a lot of the great things that we have now, uh, 2001, for example, black uniforms, black magic, all that good stuff. And so, yeah, I think we've realized that in, 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 previous years, and I don't know why, I don't know why former Gamecock players weren't all into coaching or whatever. Um, but now there's a lot of them that are, and, and and a lot of them played on some of the best teams they've ever had. And And so, I think that's good, and that that's a, that kind of benefits your program. And, and I'm not saying like like you you can do it more than one, you can do it more than one way. I mean, you, you know, Nick Saban, you know, he'll I, I'm assuming he's had a Bama grad on his staff or whatever. But you know, Nick Saban usually just has a bunch of turnover and goes out and hires whoever you know whoever he wants. You know, he's got half of South Carolina's former staff down there now, uh, and so he does it one way, like Dabo does it another. Uh, and, and I think as Shane Beamer continues to, you know, install the culture that he envisions here, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of former Gamecocks and and I kind of use his dad as an example. You you saw a lot of former Hokies, uh, on his staff. A lot of guys that were with Frank at Murray state, like Bud Foster, you know, Torian Gray, Virginia tech guy, you know, so I think, I think you're going to start seeing a nice mix of that, uh, at South Carolina. Uh, and so we'll see, well, you know, we'll, we'll see sort of how it comes out. but you know, there, there are a lot of Gamecocks out there in coaching (laughs) right now. Uh, whereas it used to not be that way. So, you know, I I think that if you're Carolina and and, and you kind of care about the, the program and the culture and stuff like that, then, then that's a positive thing. You obviously just need to go hire the best coaches and the best fit. Uh, but, um, you know, there's something to be said for having your own people and the people that get it and understand, like, OK, this this is how South Carolina is successful, you know, because I lived it, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so I, I think that's that, that's a really good deal uh, that Holloman's coming back. Uh, and and there's a reason, too, why I said it wasn't positive for Kimry and Shaw to leave just simply because of who they were, uh, that type of thing. Um, Cindy Searfoss. Callwell Banker Kane is a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, and she has been in the upstate for more than 35 years, married to a diehard Gamecock fan. You can contact her at 864 414 5271 or email her at C. C S E A F O S S at C B Kane, C B C A I N E dot com. Uh, right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue, my hometown of Sparkle City, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, give her a buzz. You know, the real estate market's crazy. I keep saying that. Uh, So give her a buzz. She normally does like what's called the analysis segment, but uh, I just analyzed quite a bit. So we're going to skip forward and get to the mailbag because there's a lot. The upstate game guy says, really enjoy these quick hitters. Always give them a look on my lunch break. Yeah. And I want to say this, you know, we got the quick hit. We got the big spur brief. We got the big spur minute, the big spur minutes on our Facebook page. And also on our Instagram, Big Spur Instagram account, at the Big Spur 247. Uh, Facebook, I think, South Carolina Gamecocks on 24-7 sports. Uh, that's a shorter version. Then we got the Big Spur brief on our YouTube page. It's simply the Big Spur YouTube page. Uh, you can just type in the Big Spur on YouTube. I, I thought we had a custom URL for that, but it looks like, uh, looks like that went away. I tried to put that out on Twitter today. But um, go ahead and subscribe to that YouTube page. It's good. And also – uh, we have some other stuff on instagram on the inside the gamecock's instagram account so uh follow that too if you're if you're a, a big consumer of gamecock sports uh, i would recommend all of that uh because we're really starting to get it rolling uh, there's two ways to get in the mailbag the i help consulting mailbag by the way and i'll tell you about i help consulting in the middle of this uh first is to tweet to at the big spur pod now look i'm gonna say this the, the big spur at the big spur pod on Twitter has grown like hundreds <laughs> and I appreciate that. So everybody, uh, everybody be sure to give uh, at the big spur pod, a follow, uh, because that's uh, a lot of stuff that we have there too. Again, social media consumption, that kind of thing. Uh, so you can tweet at me and I'll always answer these first. These always go the first Preston. With the updates to the two four seven recruiting rankings for or the twenty four seven sports recruiting rankings for twenty twenty three, it looks like Beamer could grab a solid high ranking class. Could you see this William one of the best South Carolina's had in a long time? Top fifteen, maybe top ten if things go right. I, I think so. I, you know, I'm curious to see where some of these guys end up rankings wise. Uh, curious to see, you know, who South Carolina gets in the boat. Um, but yeah, and I've said that, and, and I, you know, I want to clear this up, Preston, because I think some people think I'm guaranteeing a top ten class. Um, I'm not. I simply said the next move or the next step for this program in recruiting uh, is signing more blue chipper high school players. Now, that's also not a shot at South Carolina's class for for, for this 2022. Cause there's a really, a lot of really good players in that class. Uh, there's a lot of guys that need to develop for a year or two, but then there, there's a lot of upside and potential and the Gamecocks. It's not like they didn't go win battles. I mean, you know, the, the lower ranking to me uh, is really tough. Uh, and it's simply because there, there aren't like two guys at the top uh, according to the 24 seven sports formula to pull it up. Like the best players in this class are from the portal, um, or they're really quite frankly underrated, like Landon Sampson. That guy should be a four star, you know, four star guy, top probably top 100 if we're being truthful uh, about it. Uh, now watch him, watch him struggle because I, I've got an article coming out that says he's the most likely to see playing time this year. So watch him struggle. <laughs> that's just how my luck goes. But no, um, uh, and so that's it. But you know, you, you want to get back up in that top 10. It's not, you don't want to look at like, 13th in the SEC on 24-7 sports. You want to look more like uh, ESPN, which had the Gamecocks class at 7th, you know, 6th, 5th, 5th, 6th, 7th right there. Because th- then you're you're, you're actually – you get up that high, you're actually – you know, because look, man, South Carolina didn't sign a inferior class to Auburn or Tennessee. I mean, you know, if, if you go player by player, I mean, that, that didn't happen. Um, everybody's got some good players in their classes, to be honest, and just how the numbers shook out. It's you know you're talking about one player and maybe two opinions on that player that are the difference between 13 and and whatever. So you know that's that's the thing there, but you know when, when you get to that five six, seven spot in the SEC team rankings, uh what that basically means is you're kind of closer to the big boys. Uh, in terms of the number of highly graded players you're bringing in to develop into whatever. Um, people don't remember this. And a lot of people use excuses, you know, well Spurrier is not the coach anymore. So therefore if South Carolina is not recruiting in the top 10. It's awful. And that, that's not true either. Uh, you know, cause there's so many players around the state first and foremost that the end up being really good that, that don't get a fair look. You're recruiting tier two out of Georgia. There's always NFL guys there uh, getting guys out of Florida, smart, the Northeast. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Right. Um, but you do want more. I mean, more is better than less. Right? When you're talking about blue chip players. And so that's the next step. Now does it doesn't have to happen in 2023. No, no, uh, you probably look at incremental improvement. And then you look at 2024 uh, coming down the road. And uh, I know Jalen Bradford went to IMG. Uh, I still have a crystal ball in for him for the Gamecocks. I put that crystal ball in knowing he was going to IMG. If that makes you guys feel better down in Florida. So he'll be ranked as a Florida prospect. But you got two tackles that are also predicted to the Gamecocks. So, you know, 2024 in state, and, and that's that's kind of how Spurrier got on board with you know signing those top classes. You know, he did, and then that staff in 07, they did really well in Florida and North Carolina too. Um, North Carolina, I think, is going to still be a challenge for a little bit, uh, but I think Virginia can be good to the Gamecocks, DC, Maryland, all that, uh, and so we'll see sort of what happens. But uh, I, I it, it's February 10th of uh, 2022. Uh, So I don't know uh, that I can guarantee you this is going to be a top 10 or 15 class. I will say that, you know, when you look at the players Carolina is in on, it looks a lot more promising. But look, when Keenan Nelson and Ryan Brubaker committed to the Gamecocks early, you know, what was it last year? uh, You know, we all found out, Braden Davis, I mean, all those guys were four stars and now it's like, you know Nelson's barely a four. Brubaker and Davis are threes. I mean, you know whatever, and um, so that's so, so, so that could that type type of thing could definitely happen. Uh, and then you know you, you sort of look at it. Uh, you know South Carolina on signing day, the first one when they had Barham committed and and all the players from the portal counted. Um. You know, that's uh, – Carolina was 13th in the country that morning, documented. Uh, I think fifth in the SEC. And then you saw who everybody else got, and, then you know, so it was just one of those things. But, yeah, I I think that's – I don't think that's completely unrealistic, Preston. I I, I don't. I just – I hate to sit there and put a number on it just because I don't trust the numbers either way, either way. So, uh, you know, that's the thing there. Mm-hmm. All right. Game Kai Jordy. JC, during the last episode, you got an interesting text that never elaborated. Not cool, man. And all serious. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what that was. That was a Devontae Holloman thing. Uh, we were kind of, uh, Hale and Tony and Whittle and I were kind of going back and forth on a group text, uh, figuring out the, uh, the Holloman deal. Uh, and all that, so because the rules were were weird, you know, we, we were kind of told it, the rules were one thing and then it was something else. So that, that, that was the text, and so I apologize for that. Uh, he says, In all seriousness, as it stands today, what do you expect the two deep at receiver to look like? Could a and Brown creep into a starting role? I think that depends on what you call Jaheim Bell. Uh, is Jaheim going to be at the F receiver spot? Is he going to be a tight end primarily? Which I think. You know, like PFF, and I guess they track it. I don't really align with PFF's opinions a lot, but, uh, you know, they're going to track it. And uh, they said 46% of the time he was not attached. I think that number needs to be in the 70s because I think he's that good moving around. Uh, and I think we've – you know, I think I've been right about that, honestly, honest to God. Uh, and I think the bowl game was complete validation. Face. I mean, that guy's a beast, you know. So, 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 who are you start starting Stogner? Or is it really technically two tight ends? Is Stogner one, and then you know Bell's one, and then you got Van and Wells, or you know, and uh, Jordy asked, uh, could Amari and Brown creep into a starting role? I think so. Um, especially you know, you, you look at Amari and all year, and it got frustrating for me because I'm like, you know, you watch Georgia Tech. <laughs> Uh, and, and his his plays at Georgia Tech, most of his record-setting touchdown catches his freshman year were just long passes he got behind the defense. That's simple. Nine routes, whatever, deep post. Never saw that. You know, now some people that, you know, our, our resident film gurus on the board or at least one of them on our message board says that those were dialed up. I don't know. <laughs> I just didn't like seeing, you know, I'll throw the – throw it behind the line of scrimmage, and sometimes it wasn't even a good pass, and Brown would get – and then, you know, what happened on the punt return? I mean, just kind of a a bad year. And then all offseason last year, it was – he was start and stop. He'd start, stop, injuries, whatever. Um, Bowl game, where he played Joyner's spot. Bowl game, thought, hey, you know, and you could see the speed. You could see the foot speed. You could see the acceleration. Uh, Downfield, he had to adjust on a bad pass and call it. I think a couple of times, um, that type of guy can be really good. And, uh, maybe it's, it, he's just a situation where he takes a year, but I think Wells and van are going to start, uh, you know, I'd put Brown up there, Xavier Leggett. I'm curious to see how he looks after an off season, uh, where he's healthy. Hopefully he's healthy. Uh, I, I you know, because if you look at Xavier, he, you know, he had, a, his stats weren't all that great, but he had a knack for making some big plays and tough catches too. Bad, badly thrown balls and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I look at it and, you know, he's got a chance. Uh, I'm not going to say Rico powers has a chance until I hear something positive. <laughs> uh, I think we all believe and know he's talented, but, uh, He's got to do what he's got to do. Um, Landon Sampson coming in, I think, has a shot to be in that too deep. I am probably leaving someone off because I'm not, you know, I I don't want to disrupt the flow of the podcast and look up the roster. So if I'm leaving anybody off, uh, forgive me. But I think Bell's Wells or Bell Wells Van uh, are the top three in my mind heading in. And then after that, Brown, Laguette, and then over the summer, they get Samson. Now, here's a wild card. And the wild cards for me are Omega Blake and Xavier Leggett. You know, are are those guys going to be and, – and Blake really, he redshirted last year, but, you know, remember he played some of the bowl. Um, Mega Blake really came out of high school with a lot uh, of positive positivity about him. Uh, and so did Leggett, you know, when he got uh, – When he got to Carolina, he just had injuries. And and I thought in 2020, uh, shoot, after the Florida-Vanderbilt game, the third game of the season at Vandy, I thought he uh, was starting to come on as that second receiver behind Shai Smith. Then he disappears, and we don't know what happened. And lo and behold, the guy uh, guy suffered a season-ending injury and missed like almost a year. Uh, Then he had a car wreck this past year. So – You know, Omega Blake and Xavier, are those going to be in-state guys, in-state prospects that we end up looking at and going, man, uh, those were your classic state of South Carolina receivers that were a little under the radar that Carolina signed and and they ended up going and playing well, going to the NFL, whatever. Uh, So those are the questions there with that. But that's an interesting group. I'd say that, you know, Justin Stepp and company have more to work with Uh, Is it enough if they find another receiver in the portal? I'm pretty sure they're going to go on them uh, and try to get them, but you got to find them first. Uh, But right now I think that's what it looks like. And Gamecock, Jordy, I certainly appreciate the tweet. Again, at the Big Spur pod. Uh, Marty Rawl, JC question, how smart does anyone have to be to move your four-star quarterback out of the receiver room to play quarterback? Seems like with all the quarterback shortcomings, that should have been obvious and done far before the season started. Uh your thoughts, PS great podcast. Are we talking about Dakarian Joyner? Uh and look, <laughs> I I'll say this, Marty. I agree with you. Um the, that should have been something they considered. Uh, and, and it may have helped, you know. I, I think DeCarion showed in the bowl game that that's his best spot. You know, that's his best spot, uh, better than he has at receiver, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe at the time they thought, well, we need him at receiver. Well, the minute you moved him off receiver, you had two other guys that stepped up like champions. I mean, people forget about this. Van did not catch a pass in the bowl game. Now, he was a little – his hamstring was still a little – you know, all that the, – the passing game they did have, that was done with Joiner and, and Bell and, and all those guys. So, um, yeah, I'll agree with you there. But I'll also say this, and I've said this from the start. I don't – I'm not one – I'm not going to sit there and go hot take city on because, look, man, unless I said it uh, at the beginning of the year, boy, they should move Joyner to quarterback, and I did not. Now, when it came bowl game time and it was Zeb Nolan versus the Karen Joyner, I was like, and you look at uh, what North Carolina did uh, against running quarterbacks this year on defense, and I'm like, oh, that's that's probably a brilliant move. And we knew about it. Gosh, we heard about it from a source before Christmas. You, you just don't put that kind of thing out, you know, uh, and we didn't because that's game plan. And so then North Carolina has two weeks to pull up everything they have on to carry on, and and that's just uh, just not what we wanted to do. But I thought that was a good idea. But but, but Marty, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and go and be like, man, I should have done that to start with. I mean, I'm critical enough of Marcus Satterfield in the offense, uh, and I I didn't have that idea. You know, I wasn't sitting there clamoring for Joiner to play quarterback. I thought he's very average at receiving. Um, I, I thought that. the the wildcat thing just wasn't working, uh, probably because, you know, they didn't do the things they did in the bowl, you know, and drop him back and let him sling it, you know, to back the D off and give, give teams some things to think about. And Joyner just kept it the whole time. never gave it. And that was weird too. Um, but I, uh, you know, and and the star ratings don't matter. I mean, I'm, I'm not four star. If he's a two star, uh, it would have been a good move, but I, I can't sit here and be really critical about it because, you know, I wasn't clamoring for it. Nobody else was either. People are, people were lying to themselves if they sat there, you know, after the ECU game and thought, ah, oh, the carry joiners, the answer, <laughs> uh, or whenever at any point, you know, I thought Jason Brown, uh, because I said this, I thought, you know, after the, during the East Carolina game, I thought they should have gone to Brown because, I, you know, Brown's got some wheels and they couldn't block. You know, then Doty came back, things settled in. And I, and I said before the Florida game, you have to start Brown. And lo and behold, they started him in one. And people can say all they want, oh, you didn't, you didn't really look good. in that game. That's not true. <laughs> uh, when you score touchdowns based on individual plays, that's impacting a game because that is the point of football is to score touchdowns. And Jason Brown got escape pressure found a wide-open receiver down the field, uh, tossed up a nice 50-50 ball to uh, Van at some point. It was a big play. Threw some touchdowns against Auburn. I mean, you know, I, I just uh, – I, I I know he struggled against Clemson. I just don't buy the whole, you know, Jason Brown sucked. <laughs> Uh, he gave him a chance. Zeb Nolan starts those games and nothing against Zeb because Zeb won them some games too, two in particular that would have been embarrassingly. I mean, he saved he saved some big pants down moments this year, ECU and Vandy, Zeb did. But when you're talking about Florida, you're talking about Auburn, you're talking about Missouri, uh, even, you know, he's not getting away like Brown could. And so that, that was it. So I I was on for that, but Joyner shoot to me, Joyner, you know, <laughs> uh, had a good command of what to do now, you know, they, they coached him up for a month. Um, but that's also why I think to carry Joyner, even with Spencer Rattler and the guys they've recruited needs to be a quarterback because I think he can compete for the job. I think he can compete for the backup. Um, nobody's ever really given him a chance. Everybody wants to move him to other positions, myself included, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I sort of thought he's more of a running back or a corner or a safety than a, uh, you know, than, than maybe a receiver. But, you know, I, I've always thought, ah, I'm moving to another spot. You know, John Whittle has actually wanted to, wanted to play with running back. Debo Samuel tweeted something the other day and it was like, there's a new position. It's called wide back. And then somebody mentioned, that uh, Joiner should play that. I mentioned, I think, or, or the Big Spur Twitter account mentioned that Jaheim Bell should do it, and obviously, I think Bell <laughs> could be that guy. But you know, could to uh, carry on Joiner, get some carries from the line of scrimmage, and, and things be better? Yeah, uh, but I'd play him at quarterback, and I'd uh, I'd bring him along. Uh, have him if he if he's the number two guy, bring him along. Play him in games and spots. Let him sub for Rattler, kind of not as often as you did in the bowl game, but, you know, let him run the whole package and, and see how it goes. Uh, very interesting, interesting, uh, interesting stuff there, Morty. And I really appreciate uh, mm-hmm. appreciate the tweet and good luck in your music career. All righty. So there we go. Uh, somebody else had a a uh, response to a tweet from Preston, so that does it for the twitter portion uh of the i hope consulting in ba- uh, bag uh mailbag in bag the in bag it's an in bag it's called an in bag that sounds like a mail purse or something like you know like back when the mail purses were coming out oh it's not a it's not a it's not a purse it's an in bag it's a mail in bag I have my in bag <laughs> Anyway, if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. That's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp's a Gamecocks-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help your businesses save money on expenses. You may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet hookups, insurance, or anything else. iHelp can help you find the business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp cannot help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule an absolutely free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713. iHelp Consulting, how can I help you? Business say 48 grand, folks, with Daniel Owens. And the great thing about it is he uh, – you know, some consultants will God, give me a give me fifty thousand dollars and I'll see what I can do. Yeah, and then it just sucks, you know, <laughs> and you're like, man, I, I may as well have taken all this money and taken it out in the yard, put it on a pile of leaves and set it on fire. But uh, not Daniel. Daniel only takes a percentage of what you save the first year. So, you know, then those savings are perpetual. So who doesn't want that? Anyway, give Daniel a call, folks. If you're a business owner, I'm, I'm sure he can help you. Uh, so there's another way to get into the mailbag, and that's inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, the iHealth Consulting mailbag. Uh, that's where most of them come from. A lot of basketball, because I solicited some basketball questions, so I'm going to go through and answer. All of these. Uh, Seth says, if this ends up being Frank's last year, two possible coaches to consider, Rick Pitino and Mike Young. Uh, I'd love for that. Like the school that went and hired Lou Holt Steve Spurs should be able to go make a run at Patino. And I, my thing is this you know, South Carolina, by and large, is an administration. They try to do things the right way. Uh, people say that's Ray Tanner, and it's not Ray. It's everybody. You know, everybody tries to do things, by and large, tries to do things the right way, um, which means, you know, they're not really. Fired up about hiring people with baggage and, and things like that, but look, man, you know, Will Wade still has a job at LSU, and he's and he's kicking people's ass and winning games. Uh, I have never seen, you know, and I've followed college basketball since I was a child, like in the, the early eighties, right? I've never seen, you know, not Jerry Tarkanian, uh, not anybody, something that blatant. To where the guy, you know, sitting there talking about it, he's on the record, strong, strong ass offer or whatever, and he and he keeps his job, and he also refused to cooperate. <laughs> and I'm like, so if that's the way it's gonna be, you know, why not hire Rick Patino? I mean, you know, Patino didn't do anything like that. Um you know, or wasn't caught doing anything like that. Uh, you know, so, but look, can they get Rick Patino? Would he leave Iona for South Carolina? I think it would take a lot of money and a lot of promises. And I don't know, you know, for this basketball program, if they move on with Frank, that type of hire, though, what it does is it instantly makes everybody fired up. You know, it instantly go, wow, Patino's here, you know. Uh, in South Carolina, you know, the Frank Martin hire was a really good one and, and did make people excited, but you were at the end of Darren Horn and all the other sports were sky high at the time. Uh, and then, you know, you know Dave Odom was not an exciting hire. Uh, Eddie Fogler should have probably been, but if you remember, it came on the, uh, the heels of the Bobby Crimmins fiasco, which was an exciting hire. Uh, you got to go back to Frank McGuire, really. I mean, I guess Bill Foster, because Bill Foster took Duke to a Final Four. Carolina went and hired it. Uh, it just didn't work out. Should have hired Bobby Grimmins. Should have taken the, the other road. Um, So can you do that? I mean, can you do that? You know, I mean, Mike McGee – got Cremens in the ditton then got Fogler but then he came close like Jim Calhoun they went down the road a bit for this job you know Tubby Smith was at Kentucky at the time they went down the road for this job he was telling people he's taking it you know but is the basketball program still in the same shape or do you just go hire uh, Bob Ritchie at Furman who has done a great job at that school you know hasn't Got into the big dance like Mike Young has, but he hadn't been there like Mike Young was at Wofford. Now, Mike Young, uh, Young's a guy from the state, knows the state, and has done more with less like your theory of football coaches. Love the show. Thanks for all you do. Yeah, Mike Young's doing more with less right now at Virginia Tech, which is not an easy basketball job. But one one thing people confuse about Mike Young, uh, yeah, he was at Wofford Spartanburg 20 years, but he's from Radford, Virginia. So he is technically home. Technically he's home uh, with the Hokies job. Um, Do I see a path in the SEC at South Carolina easier than the path in the ACC at Virginia with our Virginia Tech, not Virginia, Virginia Tech with who all they have to compete against? Yes. Uh, And coaches do like the path of least resistance. Uh, I would at least call and inquire. Uh, and I think that would be a realistic guy that the administration would go after. Uh, I, like, I, like I said, I could make a big point to go get Patina. I mean, I, I could make you, uh, I could say why it makes sense if he was willing to take it, but I don't know that he's willing to take it. And I don't know. I, I, nothing I've heard says South Carolina would, would go after him uh, at all. Of course, Patino's at Iona right now in New York. He's also home. Thanks to the email, Sev. This is a uh, football question, offense for next year, and he's got a um, got a basketball note too from Jared. Haven't emailed in a while, so I'm stuck on the Satterfield problem. Heard your last podcast. I'm extremely hopeful that Rattler will be the key difference maker And this offense. Me too. If you got a quarterback, and allegedly they didn't last year, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll see if if this talk is correct. You know, and I I I'm not saying it's not. Not saying it is. Interesting trend I saw from last year, though. With Satterfield had more than one week to plan, 124 points scored, EIU, Florida, North Carolina. Games where Satterfield had one week to plan, 156 points scored in 10 games. This takes away the defensive touchdowns. Do you think this is a coincidence? Or maybe it's a trend we should watch for next year? I, I I'll say this. This is one thing that has to get better. I think the the week to week prep, the week to week prep. Um, has to get better. And when I talk about confusion and kind of how, from what I was told, how things went week to week, uh, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that the more time they had, the better they were. Again, I've said this many times, though, this is college football. You have only so much time during the week to prepare. You cannot throw a bunch of stuff at the kids. You just can't do it. Um, you can put in a couple of plays like Steve Spurrier used to do, uh, but you've got to, you know, it, it becomes less about a game plan that will trick you, which is what I think was people were trying to do at, at times, uh, and more about what you call against what and when. In in college, in my opinion, and that's what I think. That's why people had problems with the play calling. I, I don't think it was necessarily all the trick plays on the goal line at Tennessee. I think it was just like what to call and when. And instead of figuring that out, it seemed like there was just a lot of install during the week and, and changes, nuance. Uh, and I was explained to me: NFL offenses have a lot of nuance. College offenses don't because there's not enough time. And in that league, you have to have nuance, man. I mean, you you have to. And they're pros. They can handle, like, subtly changing the blocking scheme to throw people off. Uh, They confuse the crap out of um, some people. So, there we go. Uh, And, and look, I I don't think it was a coincidence, Jared. I'm just praying that it changes. (laughs) I'm just praying that there's a different approach next year. Uh, side note, men's team played great against Kentucky, but I have a feeling it's the end of the Frank Martin era in Columbia. Thanks for your contribution to Gamecock Nation, as always. I feel like, barring a big turnaround, you're probably looking at that. It's sad. I don't like talking about it because I love Frank Martin. I, you know, I, I, uh, uh, but I'm also not one of these people that's going to sit there and go and state factually, because these are facts, because he's, he's he's actually won more, you know, had more non-losing seasons than any coach has coached there during the the SEC era. He's won more SEC games. Um, but I think this program's stuck in purgatory, and quite frankly, I think Frank's stuck a little bit. Uh, I think 10 years, uh, if you only have one NCAA tournament in 10 years someplace, as magical as it was, uh, it, it's probably time for a new challenge for him. And, you know, there's all these questions about the portal and his style and, and all that. And, I, you know, what I'd do if I were him, I'd probably just drop down. Uh, you want to go home to Miami, uh, FIU, FAU, you know, South Florida would be a job that he'd be pretty good at because uh, you're recruiting this. You, you can recruit this. You have access to the same players that you're getting at South Carolina, um, but you're in Conference USA and Sunbelt and uh, those schools, those places. So so you're not playing, (laughs) you know, a lot. Coastal Carolina, if Cliff Ellis hung it up, would be great uh, for Frank. Uh, And, and look, somebody in, like, the Big East gave him a shot. Um, DePaul I always thought was dumb for not hiring him. You know, Marquette, DePaul, you know, uh, Seton Hall, someplace like that, he'd win he'd win because those school, those basketball schools, they attract players and they're located in town. You can just go get guys. Um, he's had to really scratch and search and, and all that for ball players uh, at South Carolina. Um, and, uh, you know, I think at, at a mid-major program, it's a different ball game. And I think if he did go to one of those schools uh, after this season and, you know, kind of, Everything sort of, uh, I guess, uh, ended. I think you'd see Frank in the NCAA tournament, maybe in the Sweet 16 with one of those schools, maybe further. Uh, we have had mid-majors go to the Final Four because uh, I think he's that good of a coach. Uh, I, I just think that there's, you know, the, the, you say there's a ceiling in, in most years. 80% of the time here there is. And he's probably just bumping his head up against the ceiling. Uh, And you need somebody that can work his way around that or bust through that. And that's not easy to find. But, uh, you know, I I tend to agree maybe we're looking at at the end here. Okay. Mr. White says, have a basketball coach question for you. What do you think would be better for our program, an up-and-coming coach like Bob Ritchie or Nico Medved or a well-established coach that will do the dirty under-the-table stuff that it takes to win like Sean Miller? Thanks for all you do, Mr. White. Either, you know, Sean Miller was a guy that when he was at Xavier, everybody was excited about maybe we could get him to come to South Carolina, you know. Um, There's a lot of talk about Nico Medved, and and I agree. You know, I was working in Greenville when Medved left and Bob Ritchie got the job, and Medved did get Furman going. But it's kind of like the Frank Martin thing that I think is a little bogus. It's kind of a bogus take that Nico Medved deserves all the credit. Just like Bob Huggins deserves all the credit for what Trank did at Kansas State. That's not true. Uh, Bob got it going. Uh, He did leave a good team. But, you know, in year three, Frank went to the Sweet 16 with players he had recruited. Jacob Pullen was a guy, the quintessential Frank Martin recruit. He found him somewhere. He ended up being a great player, not Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight. I'm sorry, and and that was a rough loss for them. I mean, they should have been, should have been a Final 14. Um, so so just like, just like Bob Huggins at Kansas State, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's been long enough. I don't think you can throw Richie's success, you know, and just say ah, oh, he's just followed in Medved's footsteps. Now, what I do like about Medved is he'll go take over a place that's tough, which is in the gutter. And 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 re you know, breathe life into the program. Same thing with a guy like Ryan Odom, Dave's Dave's son, you know. <laughs> He's one at Maryland, Baltimore County, and now Utah State, which is usually Utah State's pretty solid, but you know, and uh, Nico Medved's at Colorado State, which uh not an easy place to win either. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the the answer is there, you know, South Carolina basketball has never had much luck with the up-and-comers uh, for different reasons. And, and they haven't really hired a whole lot of up-and-comers. You know, McGuire was established when he came in. They passed on the up-and-comer Crimmins to get Bill Foster. Uh, Felton, George Felton was kind of an up-and-comer. And his tenure really shouldn't have ended. I mean, he was 25 games above 500, had been to an NCAA tournament, was recruiting well. Um you know, then you hired Steve Newton from Murray State. Definitely considered a mid-major up-and-comer. Disaster. Eddie Fogler and Dave Odom come in and take care. They're established. Fogler went to the Sweet 16 at Vandy. Odom went to the Elite Eight at Wake. You know, the results were there. Some really good years, some not-so-good years. So then you go up-and-comer with Darren Horn. Disaster. And then you go established with Frank Martin. And, yes, it's been 10 years and won NCAA tournament, but he did go to the Final Four. I mean that's the single greatest team athletic accomplishment uh in school history and and I put that above the women's championships and final four, and the baseball championships because it's in a revenue sport that you know the whole country really cares about. you know South Carolina men's basketball going to final four is unbelievable. you know football's never played on that stage, and you know that's really the only two only two programs you're talking about when you're talking about revenue sports and a uh, great accomplishment. So, so I don't know the answer. I mean, maybe it's time to hire another up-and-comer. You know, Bob Ritchie from Furman is going to be a – you know, if you had to bet on it right now, if the job opened, you know, I would probably bet on Bob being at least the guy they talked to a bunch. Uh, so, so there you go with that. Mailbag. <laughs> Isaiah York. Hey JC, hope you're doing well. A few basketball questions. See lots of basketball today. Does Carolina have a legitimate shot at GG Jackson? Yes, and for right now, you know. Second question to you is: If USC finishes with an above 500 record this season, will Frank more than likely be retained? Also, if GG Jackson commits to USC, will that keep Frank here one more year? I love Frank Martin and what he's done for USC, but he hasn't been winning enough big games for us to make the tournament consistently. Yeah. And he's also lost games that, that they shouldn't early, and that's cost them too. And late, I mean, I was thinking about the 2020 team that you know, the season just ended because of COVID, 18 and 13. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, they hadn't lost to Stetson, they've been 19 and 12. They hadn't lost to a terrible Vanderbilt team in Nashville um, to end the regular season in a game they absolutely needed to have you know, then that's 20 wins and they probably are on the right side of the bubble, you know, and and there's some other games in there too, you know, that particular season, uh, Northern Iowa was a game they lost by two points down in uh, Cancun, I think is what it was, you know, and, and Northern Iowa would have been a quad one win. So those three games could have gone in a different direction. You know, they're sitting there at 21 and 10 and 11 and seven in the league. And, you know, I, I think that they're at least going to Dayton at that point for the first four that year. So sometimes it's been losses that you know they shouldn't have taken. And he says, hopefully, they'll bounce back from those quad one losses. Okay, for Gigi Jackson, it's interesting. So Gigi Jackson, here's what here's the scenario. I think that you know, with if, if Frank does not make the NCAA tournament, you know, I think if you get Gigi Jackson committed and he reclassifies to 2022, which means he's coming in next season, um, and as long as, like, Carolina doesn't lose out. In other words, you lose these six of these last seven and you finish five and 13 in the league and, you know, 14 and 16, losing record overall, you know, yeah, you're probably – not going to keep the coach for recruit that's you know going to be here two years from now. But if he can get to the if if Frank can get to the NIT, uh, you know, which I think Carolina is probably about three or four wins away from, him. and, and there, there's three or four winnable on the schedule. Uh, and GG commits and he's coming in next year. I, you know, if you're South Carolina's administration, I, I just You know, you've got one of the biggest recruits ever coming in, local. That's what everybody's been griping about. And this guy, you know, in basketball, one guy can help you turn it. Uh, I think that provides a pathway uh, for no change. Uh, The other option for Frank would would be to just, you know, win win out (laughs) and win a game in the tournament, in the SEC tournament, and go from there. Uh, that would probably put Carolina in the big dance. So that's unfortunately what I think the situation is right now uh, with him. And I love Frank Martin and what he's done too. But like I said, you kind of, you know, take the pandemic year out. I mean, people that want to hold that that year, last year against him, I, I just don't think really understand, and really the first two years too. But you look at the rest of those years and it's like, ah, close but no cigar most years uh you know 17 wins 17 wins 16 wins 17 wins uh good wins bad losses some some good losses in there too i mean that that team after the final four with with booker and company and silva really fought its butt off i thought but just you know three point loss to tennessee six point loss to texas tech at home uh all those games could have made a big difference lost to illinois freaking state the redbirds Uh in a Myrtle Beach tournament at the beginning of the year that hurt them. I mean, so, you know, I, I look at it and it's like, you know, there's just been in those seasons, those 16 to 18 win seasons, a lot, of, a lot of missed opportunity, a lot of great moments, a lot of big wins, but a lot of missed opportunity as well. Sean says, I've grown fatigued with the men's basketball program. It's not that Frank's a bad coach. I just feel as war on his welcome. I know you've said before that Carolina basketball is a bad job. But how much worse is it than the Auburn job? I'm going to stop right there. Uh, it wasn't, but you look at Auburn now and Bruce Pearl plus new arena has changed the equation. So uh, you know it's a better job now. They and they, but South Carolina would have been too had they built on the final at the Final Four not just been a one-and-done. Auburn went to the Final Four a few years ago. Um, they did have the one-year probation last year where they weren't a winning team, but, you know, Pearl's got them going. Pearl's been very consistent. And see, the, the issue is, too, man. you hire Frank Martin, that's kind of what you're expecting because Bruce Pearl at Tennessee is success-wise the same as Frank Martin at Kansas State consistently. And that's that's what South Carolina, if they're ever going to do anything, as basketball program has to be you know, four out of five in the NCAA, three out of five in the NCAA, whatever that really, you know, takes it from a program that really has nothing to show, but one good year to something where, you know, players are on hey, These guys go to the tournament every year. They're competitive. Fans feel that way as well. Uh, new arena. We'll talk about that. So (laughs) I have some ideas on that. He says, why not lure a coach that pushes the envelope like Rick Pitino? I don't know that Rick Pitino is interested, um, If it were me, I'd make the call. I'd try to get the money together. College basketball seems to be played differently, and some of the best coaches come with a history. Will Wade issues, Bruce Pearl violations, Tom Crean violations. Tom Crean's not a good basketball coach, by the way. Uh, This guy went to the Final Four because of Dwayne Wade at Marquette. Uh, Indiana, he won, but not at their standard, and he's a disaster at Georgia, despite all the recruiting he's done. Now I'm probably going to take some crap about this, Sean, because he may very well break his losing streak to the Gamecocks this weekend. Uh, but I, I wouldn't throw Crean in there uh, at all. Uh, he said, but for the most part, these coaches produce tournament teams. Not Tom Crean, Bruce Pearl, yes, Will Wade, yes. He's like, I don't know something I thought about. Uh, love the pod. Throw Jaheem Bell the nine route hashtag. Amen. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, like Rick Patino is not just a guy like pushes the envelope. I mean, he's one of the best coaches in the history of college basketball. You know, this this school has a track record of in football of, of and really basketball too. Frank McGuire, you know, of luring people like that. So. I don't think it's a bad idea, but I don't think it will happen. I just don't think it will happen. I think you're looking at the Bob Ritchie era or something else. Sky Mike says, love the podcast and what the Big Spur brings to us fans. I've been agonizing over Frank Martin's tenure at South Carolina. He's a great person, leader, and representative for us. But as you mentioned recently, he just cannot get over the hump. Yeah, and in, in, in most of his years. Looking at him stacked against all the other game coaching careers, he's just like o- Fogler and Odom. He can point to one shining moment in a sea of mediocre seasons. Fogler has 1997. Odom brought us NIT glory. Odom should have been fired for those NIT teams, by the way, in my opinion. You know, And I know Dave, Odom was – and Odom also coached in an era where I, I don't know that those teams that uh, – <laughs> that uh, got to the NIT and won it would have made the NIT if the, the rules were in place like they have now where you have these mid-major regular season champs that just eat up spots in that tournament. It ends up being actually a, more of like a, a – it seems to me like a, more like a group of five playoff uh, for the for, for, for football. But like It seems to me more like a mid-major versus major challenge. Uh, that's kind of how I feel at the NIT now. Um But Odom's – those two NIT teams, you know, the the first one was probably a team – Carolina was coming off an NCAA tournament berth the year before. The first one was probably a team that should have been in the first round. That second one that went all the way to the championship game of the SEC tournament nearly knocked off Florida I beat Florida twice in the regular season. Florida won the national title. That was a sweet 16 team. So, instead of a war chest of credibility, I thought he should have been fired. (laughs) But he wasn't, so – The only coach to be more the mediocre at South Carolina was McGuire, of course. I'm still amazed at the level of talent he was able to pull from New York down to us. Yeah, but that was a different era, man. A lot different. Naturally, we look at Auburn and Tennessee and ask why we cannot get on the top-level talent. Uh, Barnes does it a lot more like Frank than, than, than you'd think. He finds guys, but he's also got some guys, you know. I mean, it's hard to say that when Josiah James is sitting up there and he was a big time recruit out of South Carolina, uh, but uh, certainly Pearl, really good. Coach Tanner and many of our game cop family are proud to do things the right way. It's easy to look down at the history of violations. Some of our league's cop coaches have committed in the past with disdain or laughter. I, you know what? That's fine and all, Mike, and, and I'm with you. And that's easy to do. But if, if they're not going to enforce the dang rules, then then you know, and there's no consequences. Why not? And in basketball, it doesn't appear that they are. Uh, on one hand, we were killed to have a top 10 men's team to go with our women's team. Uh, so given the ever-shifting nature of getting recruits, it's now time to grab our own snake oil salesman, someone like Bruce Pearl, who knows how to land the big fish. North Carolina laughs at the NCAA after systemic academic fraud. So why should we fear our next coach stretching NCAA rules? Uh, I heard you on J.B. and Goldwater talking about new facilities. Bruh, if we had Pearl's number one Auburn team in the Garnet and Black, just how quickly that would happen. Also, while it's completely reasonable to remove last season of, as part of the discussion about Frank Martin, we cannot remove those first two years. Frank McGuire lost his first two seasons as well. The difference is McGuire was bringing in a better level of talent than Martin and quickly rose relevance to the ACC. Bottom line, Martin cannot recruit the highest level players, your thought. Martin has not had a good run with, you know, since Dozier and Thornwell and Silva and those guys. I would disagree about – I mean, because – I mean, look, man. In, in year five, he went to the Final Four. So, I, I do think he quickly got it to relevance. He's just fault. he just fell back. Um, no. Yeah, year five. Final four, not year four, because uh, there was two bad ones, seventeen and sixteen, the screw job team, and then the final four. So I would argue against that point. Um, and, and look, yeah, high school guys. He hadn't been able to get in. He's found some really good diamonds in the rough. I think. I mean, I don't. I think some of these guys can play that he brought in. But you know, you have to keep in mind. What, you know, there's two things you have to think about here. Um because you're right, having a, a guy with connections that can recruit is great. But you also have to think about this, folks. The transfer portal is alive and well in basketball, and it's going to be a lot worse, or I'm not saying worse, but a lot, let's say a lot more active in basketball. Because even before there was a portal and instant eligibility, you had a ton of players leaving, a ton, every year, just bunches. So do you want a guy that can more manage that end of it? Do you want a guy that could, you know, like a Chris Beard would be an example of that? uh, I'm going to tell you this right now. Chris Beard, you know, was a guy UNLV hired from Arkansas Little Rock. He's at UNLV a month. Texas Tech opened up. He had some connections there, went back to Texas, and you saw what happened. So nobody out there, myself included, is going to turn backflips if they go get the next Chris Beard, because we're not going to know it. But he's a master at putting together transfers and rosters and all that, managing sort of the new the new deal. Um, or do you want a Will Wade type of guy? I mean, you know, there's just uh, a lot that goes into it. And then, you know, we we hear the name Bob Ritchie a lot. What type of guy is he? You know, he's been into mid-major. So who knows? Who knows? But – uh yeah, I, uh, I if Auburn can do it, South Carolina can do it, you know, Tennessee. You know, the thing about Tennessee is they will go up and down, but when when they have coaching stability, which they did not for a while, uh, they're usually a tournament team. You know, they probably have a little bit better history than the Gamecocks, but, uh, you know, we'll see sort of what happens uh, with that. But, yeah, very fascinating discussion, and I'm for hiring – Anybody, <laughs> as long as it's a fit. You know, I, I'm not really going to – and Tanner and everybody else should not care about it either uh, when you're talking about reputation and all that because, again, the NCAA or the SEC or whoever, they've shown no interest in, in worrying about the rules in the sport, recruiting-wise, none. I mean, they, they the FBI, you know, investigated. You have a bunch of stuff, public record. Uh, Kansas is not on probation. (laughs) They gave Bill Suff a lifetime contract. Uh, Sean Miller would have still been in Arizona had he not started losing. Will Wade still got a job. But, boy, they rushed. They ran to Raleigh, North Carolina to put poor NC State on probation, right? And Auburn, because Auburn at the time was not a blue player. JC, what do you think about Grant McCaslin? As a North, at North Texas, as a potential basketball coach, he's been able to turn North Texas into a winner, which is something I prioritize. My main concern would be recruiting in the States since he's only coach in the Midwest. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, you, you know, I think he's a hell of a coach. And the, the in state recruiting thing, guys, you know, two years ago, I, I, I would have continued to say that's the key, right? But again, we're in an era with the, the the transfer portal in 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 basketball, like I said, 10 times worse, you know, or 10 times more active. I mean, so you hire a coach that can manage that, you know, versus somebody who's probably going to come in with a great reputation as a recruiter, but isn't going to be able to crack the in-state recruiting nut because guess what? Nobody has. <laughs> uh I don't know. I mean, what, what would you choose there? I like Grant McCassum, though, Noah, that's a great, uh, great idea. AJC Mike Yuba said recently on his podcast, it will take three or four years to turn the basketball program around with a new coach and that it's harder to turn around basketball than football. I think at most schools that would be incorrect. Do you think this is the case of South Carolina because of how hard a basketball job is? Or do you think it's possible for a quicker turnaround of the program? Okay. I am not going. I, I love Mike Uva. Uh, He's a great person, and I, I'm not going to try to. Oh, I don't think he's. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, guys, you know, sometimes if I disagree with something, I'll I'll, I'll strongly disagree. Uh, but I'm going to kind of, you know, not strongly disagree with, or not be just. I, I don't I don't want to be ugly about this, okay? Because I'm I'm not uh, I'm not all about shooting down Mike's opinion or not respecting it or what. But in general, basketball, because there's less players, is harder to turn around than football. Uh, Now, the transfer portal helps in football because you don't have to wait for a good recruiting class uh, to sort of develop because you can get some guys and come in and play right away. Uh, Also, you don't have to worry so much if you have a recruiting class full of duds because you can replace those numbers as you get older. So for football, it may make it a little quicker. Is the football job at South Carolina better than the basketball job? Yes. And, um, right now, should it have been no, (laughs) is South Carolina basketball a hard job? Yes. Depending on who they hire, how can they turn around the program quickly? Well, look, uh, Again, there's a there's a portal and, and transferring has been going on at South Carolina for a long time. so I'm not going to sit there and say it's a three or four year turnaround because you may have different players in all those three or four years, man. And, you know, one team may be good, one team may be sorry. Uh, like I said, we're going into a different era in the sport. you know so, so, so let's just say this well, you know what if if you hired a Rick Patino boy, you're going to get all kinds of interest from the portal. Guys that leave. I mean, you could put together a, a team that makes a run any year. You know, what if a guy like Bob Ritchie and, and look again, we, we keep talking about Patino. That's not going to happen. There's no, no talk on South Carolina's end about this. There, there's no, I just, I, it's not going to happen. Okay. I, I just, I also, I will be, I will be stunned if it happened, but I'm using Rick Patino as kind of an example. Sean Miller, Rick Patino, John Beeline. You know, those guys that are out there that are big names uh, that, you know, you may talk to, you may not, um, you know, you look at it that way. Okay, well, they're, they're going to be able to attract players, get get recruits, that kind of thing. But then you don't know, what I mean, what if, what if Bob Ritchie or Nico Medved are like masters with the portal? What if Ryan Odom is Mr. Portal guy? I mean, and, and they have this special ability to do it like a Chris beard, then you can also turn that thing around pretty quickly you're probably not going to get picked very hot. The, the, the basketball media, you know, sometimes, you know, doesn't, they they look more like who's returning. And so Texas tech the year they played for the national championship, they were picked seventh in the big 12. Now the big 12 is a hell of a basketball conference, you know, top to bottom Everybody's pretty good. So, so yeah, I, you know, football, football been through a lot, uh, with Muschamp at the end of that era, in terms of losing Jake Bentley at quarterback, you know, not having, you know, being bad on one side of the ball or the other, not having the right guys in position, the two and eight year during the pandemic was challenging. But I, Jane Shane Beamer inherited a good roster. Was it? Is it an elite roster? No. Did they need help? Yes. But it was a roster that was good enough to get to a bowl, and they did. Um. So that's a. A quick turnaround on paper, but when you really kind of look at what needed to happen to turn around, it was much more about getting the most out of what's on the current roster than going out and you know flipping the roster. You know what I'm saying? Now they're in the process of flipping a lot, and, and you know the secondary obviously was a was a great piece of coaching development and recruiting. Um, but but yeah, I mean you know football. It's going to take a few years at least, and I don't know how accelerated it will be because of the portal and the guys they can get or not. But football is one that's always going to take some time. I mean, every build in the history of college football has started with about a, you know, six, seven win season, sometimes several. So that happens. Basketball, man, I mean, look at Steve Forbes at Wake Forest. You know, now now look, if I could just go hire one guy, Right now, I'm sold on Steve Forbes at Wake Forest, <laughs> uh, and it's because of what he did in the transfer portal this year. And Wake Forest in a very difficult league. Now they, everybody's talking about the ACC being down or whatever. I mean, who knows, uh, but they're still in a difficult league. They're third place. They're going to the big dance. Who cares? Um. So. You know, uh that would be my guy. <laughs> BJ Mackey happens to be on that staff as well. But uh, you know, uh, you know, that's the thing. I mean, that turned Wake turned around pretty quick because they went and got players. Uh and, and in basketball, too, you know, most five-star football recruits, you know, 90, 80 percent of them aren't, you know, you're going they need at least a year to get their feet wet because it's a developmental sport. Five-star basketball recruits, John Calipari does it every year. And they're, you know, and I think that's cost them in the tournament from time to time with super talented teams going down to older teams because that happens. But five star basketball players can come in and kill it, you know, and and that because they're those guys when they sign are about 18 months away from being multimillionaires anyway in first round NBA picks. You sort of know who the guys are in basketball. There's not as much of a mystery as there is in football, and you don't need as many of them. You need two or three uh, to really make an impact. So I, I don't necessarily agree with, with Mike there uh, in terms of how quickly this thing could turn uh, with Frank or otherwise. I mean, you know, sometimes you has got to hit the lottery uh, and then recruiting and whatever. Um, you know, because basketball has always been easier to build and and, all, and and there's not as much development and there's so much transition. And with every team in the country these days, you know, it can hurt you and, and not hurt you. Whereas football is more standard and, you know, you still got guys, multi-year players that develop and and, and all that. But, look, I'm not going not gonna to get out there and say, Mike, No, don't know what he's talking about. I understand, you know, if what he's saying is the basketball job is, is in a bad spot right now, it's not a good job right now, uh, and football is better yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that bandwagon all day because it, it's and, and it's a shame because the job Frank Martin took over was not as good as the job Darren Horn took over and the job Darren Horn took over was not as good as the job as Dave Odom took over there was a a a slow decline because they held on to Odom two years too long Horn was just a bad hire that benefited from Odom's uh, cycling back up, um, and he never did anything, and he just went went to the tank. Uh, and by the time Frank takes over, every other sport on campus looks great and is competing nationally. And, and here's men's basketball uh, going on, like, last two years of Odom. And really, the, like I said before, the NITs were disappointing. I mean, I, I remember the second one especially. That team – NCAA tournament, probably Sweet 16 team, had they not screwed around. in the, and, and Dave Odom could never figure out the SEC, uh, so they did what they did. So you got those two years. Then you got two bad years under Odom uh, where Hyman kept him because of the war chest of credibility. That final year, he has Devin Downey and Frederick coming in, Though and all of a sudden, yeah, there you go. The horn takes over, has one of the best point guards ever in the history of the program, Downey. and. You know, they had a good year, and then the bottom falls out. So, so you don't have – you know, and even Horn's first year, there was excitement. Frank takes over. Nobody's, care, nobody's cared about Carolina basketball in years. And, you know, six out of the last seven have been, mm-hmm. you know, Bleh. And so then he's bad for two years. So you're talking about a decade, a decade of uh, just awfulness. And uh, that's tough. And then it's been Frank's decade, which has featured one shining moment and then a lot of near misses and one screw job year, which happens to South Carolina. I'll never forget Ray Tanner's uh, baseball team in 99. They expanded the tournament to 60, expanded the tournament to 64. South Carolina wins the SEC East. They had divisions back then, and they still have divisions in baseball and did not get in the tournament. (laughs) Explain that to me. Uh, but, you know, it was a screw, typical South Carolina screw job there. And uh, and then it's been 16 to 18 wins ever since in, in, in normal years. So, you know, there you go. And, and you know, so that's, so that's the thing, too. So it's not, you know, three or four years to turn it around. I mean, from, from where they're at now, you know, they're, they're four or five wins a year away from, from making the tournament. You know, so that's 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 kind of the deal there. But anyway, hopefully, uh, you know, you, you just hope for the best. You know, you hope that, uh, you know, because I'm with all everybody else. I like Frank, and you hope for the best. You pray for a miracle because I think miracle would probably be the right term, but not sure if it's going to happen. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to you. Thank you to Heritage Digital. Uh, thank you to. I help Consulting. Thank you to Cindy Sirfoss. Don't Be sure to subscribe to the Big Spur YouTube page. Lots of additional content there. Follow us on Twitter here at the podcast at the Big Spur Pod. Follow us on Instagram at Inside the gamecast J.C. Sherbert signing off. Got to go record a J.C. and Morgan pod, which should be fun. Today, got a special guest, Tim Brando's joining us. Uh, and so uh, we'll have that out soon as well. Talk to you guys soon.